Welcome to the Better Agent Series. My name is Will Ainsworth. Um, I'm the Head of Training and Growth here at Open. Um, and now if this is your first time tuning in, which I believe there are a fair few of you here, I'll let you know what we're all about, um, which is bringing you, the Open community, actionable advice, tips and insight from the best in the industry. And that's why today I'm talking with my mate and the Managing Director of Activate Growth, Dan Spencer. Now, in addition to coaching and training a number of Australia's top real estate agents, uh, Dan's also run his own real estate uh, and project marketing business, achieving great success in some really tough markets. Um, and having developed and implemented training curriculum for some of Australia's biggest real estate brands, including uh, McGrath Estate Agents, Rain and Horn, Century 21, uh, just to name a few, Dan believes that as the market shifts, so too does the need for a new paradigm in how to approach an ever-changing industry. So, Dan, welcome, mate. Thanks, Will. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. And um, and I didn't mention to everyone, um, this is probably personal, but Dan was actually my real estate coach. So, Dan and I go quite a way back. And when I say friend, I genuinely mean that. We've uh, gone beyond just the, um, the coach and mentor um, perspective. We bounce off each other all the time, and Dan's a really good um, year for me. So I appreciate from a personal point of view what you've done for me in my real estate career, to, particularly towards the back end. Um, but mate, prospecting, we put a survey out in the uh, open negotiation community um, about what everyone wanted to discuss. And it's usually at the top of the list, you'd have to admit that prospecting is something that's you know an ever popular topic in the real estate community. It is. It's um... I think we make it more difficult for ourselves than what it is, Will. And, and you know, to give you an example that, you know, there, there's this idea that prospecting needs to be this laborious, um, long-winded grind when if you've got the right technique, you can you can short-circuit it. And I'll just give you a specific example that we're going to go through many today, but, you know, I've been teaching um, a group of agents and I've got two agents this month, or sorry, last month, recorded more than a sale a day and that's Matt Steinway down at the Central Coast who I coast. Matt did 34 sales and Luke Sacco from Nelson Alexander um, is in uh, northwestern suburbs of Melbourne who did 31 sales and, and both those guys to get that volume of sales up they, it's just not about profile it's not about door, just door knocking if that's what it is it's about being smarter with how you're actually interacting with your vendors or buyers and so an example of that will is you know, you, 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 you list a home and there's an opportunity in that moment talking to your vendor as they're handing the agency agreement off the table, across the table. That opportunity being, you know, asking questions like to the vendor, who do you think in your street will sell next? Now, the reason why I want to know that, Mr. and Mrs. Vendors, because I want to know the buyer before they present themselves. And often people that go to market, the most likely people to buy it will be the neighbours. Now, I'm not only looking for a buyer there, Will, what I'm looking for is my next seller. You know, likewise, asking your vendor, who do you think will come on the market next in your street? And the reason why you want to know that is because clearly we want to make sure we're facilitating the right open home times and we're considerate of what else is happening in the area and we're making sure that we're preparing for the negotiation. But ideally, you're looking for your next listing. So I, I, I think I coach to be smart. Um, and, you know, you introduced me as a real estate agent. I see myself as a career coach because I've been doing this for 23 years. But I think you know, uh, ideally, prospecting isn't just about this laborious thing. You've got to you've got to in your mindset understand that you can short circuit things really quickly, Will. Yeah. And it's about the cleverness and it's about the the technique. And I think there has to be a balance between technology and technique. And you've got to get that balance right. Great answer, mate. Um, 
I don't even think I asked a question, but uh, we finished up today, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you took a few um, bits out of that. You'd be a happy agent. So let's just rewind for a second. So um, Activate Growth, um, before we get into the prospecting module, what is Activate Growth and um, like what's the company all about? Can you just give me a bit of a backstory on how it came, came about to be? I was a real estate agent up until about 2004 and five, and then I just decided to be a career coach. Um, I started just doing speeches on stage. You know, we had a we had a PR nationwide business down in Hobart. Learned a learned a lot running that business. We we're one of the first businesses in Australia to bring the business unit concept. I think I heard Peter Gilchrist talk about it over in New Zealand. I thought, wow, what a great way to grow agents and retain them, being part of a business unit. Um, and so we did that. And then I started doing speeches on stage and um, I would go and talk at conferences, spoken at ARIC, a few other bits and pieces in my early time, uh, early stages of my career. And then I started realising I'm coaching all these people, but it's not getting cut through. And it used to really frustrate me. So that's where I, I later realised that training in isolation doesn't work. To simply stand up on stage and deliver content or for you to even attend that doesn't work. It really needs coaching. You know, and coaching is a little bit, you know, very much what you and I had. We you know, Will, to your credit, you signed, I think, twice. We spent a year with each other every single week, um, linking up accountability, making sure that we're coaching to a tailored approach to that particular agent circumstance and strength. So coaching is, you know, more of a question-based technique where you're making sure you're tailoring, you're, you're listening as the coach, what's working, what's not working, where is this agent's blind spots? Um, and then mentorship, Will, which is, you know, largely, you know, looking after the human being first and foremost, Mentorship is all around time management, relationship management, personal health, all those things. So coaching was the sort of the thing that I really cut my teeth into. Um, and then over the last five years, well, it's been a lot of, which I just came from then, it's been a lot about building tools for big brands like McGrath, Rain and Horn. I just finished a big one for JLL globally with all their commercial training we built. We're building tools that we deliver back to the corporate entity that then can deliver that training themselves to the marketplace. So I'm doing a lot of content creation at the moment. Um, and that one there, we tend to do about oh seven to 10 of those jobs a year. And they're big, big jobs. They take me usually three or four months. We're absolutely getting down to prospect, list, sell, negotiate, post-sale. And we're mapping out a whole playbook and a customer journey. And we're then handing that content across to the client. So we do three things now. Um, and, uh, and I just love, I just love the balance and, you know, this is, I think I'm into my 11th hour at the moment. I just want to keep going. So, yeah. But, um, tell me, and I'm sure there's a number of answers to this, but what, what in your mind separates a media mediocre or an average agent to what we call an elite agent? It just, it's mindset. You know, if you, you look at two people, you know, you look at uh, James Tostevin Prospect, Matt Steinway. You know, um, uh, we've, we've got um, all sorts of different Michael Coombs, who I coach, who's, who's down at LJ Hooker, all these guys that are just really special at what they do. There's nothing too special about their dialogue. What is special is their mindset. It's their ability to be able to think differently before doing the task. And so to give you an example, well, I've got a little bit of a, do you mind if I share something with you? I'd love you to. Please go. I'm going to show you something which just might give someone a little bit of framework on understanding mindset because a lot of people it's loosely spoken about yeah. but it's important that we get the, the correct definition and just before you move on sorry for yeah, everyone cool. watching um please pop any questions you've got into dan because i'd love to um answer those or ask him i should say towards the, the back end so pop those questions in if i don't get to them don't think i've missed them i'll certainly ask them but 
this is meant to be as interactive as possible. And Dan made a particular point to say he wants everyone to throw as many questions as possible. So go for it, Dan. Yeah, look, I, I, I think it's just in defining mindset and understanding oneself, you know, um, children are born with a clean slate. They're born with no thoughts, no, no, nothing other than a clean slate. And what we know about um, adults being male or female is that typically we have 40,000 conscious thoughts a day. That's a lot of thinking we do. And what I want to do is just explain to you when we have a thought, what that actually does around the decisions and actions we take. So if you look at this little diagram here, we're sitting there right now. I'm sitting opposite an agent and I say, how do you feel about the market at the moment? Now, whatever they say next is, is what they're thinking. So if I hear oh, what a great opportunity, this is not a once in a hundred year um, um, issue this uh, COVID-19. This is a once in a hundred year opportunity, Will. If I'm hearing that and I'm hearing an agent that's believing that they're worthy of 10 sales a month because they just expect to make 10, then what that often does is it creates, it's a different emotional feeling. It's a sense of control. It's a sense of confidence. It's a sense of, of just feeling great. And you either feel good or bad the way you think based off the feeling you have a perceptual belief. If you think the market is great and there's a wonderful opportunity out there and you feel good, your perceptual belief is if I go on prospect, I'm going to get a return on that investment. I'm expecting to get a listing. Well, the perceptual belief might be, and I was talking to a guy the other day, actually Luke Sacker, I think it was. He said, Dan, every single home's on the market. It's just the more motivated ones put signs up. And I thought, my gosh, what a great, beautiful, pure mind, which is why he made 31 sales. What a great way of viewing prospecting in the market. He just sees them all as listings. Whereas the average agent's just... Hmm. Can you just say that one more time? Because I need everyone to, to understand that. That is a phenomenal line. Every single home's on the market. It's just the more motivated one stick signs up. Wow. You wow. know, um, and when you and you look, so I just want to under, understand when you think like this, you'll then make a decision. So if you think every home's on the market, or let's just say you think you're worthy of 10 sales, you'll decide to do everything in your power to align that thought, which is if you get a bit of training or you do a bit of coaching. Or you're told one day that if you see a skip down at the front of the house, pull the car over and maybe door knock it because there could be something going on in that home. Hello. Yeah. So that agent that's making 10 sales a month that believes that drives up a street, which is literally 100 metres away from his office, sees a skip bin, door knocks it. That home's not for sale. But the guy that he speaks to says the one over across the road is becoming vacant and maybe you go and check that one out. He then actions that. He then gets a result, which is a listing. Guess what? The market's great. Now, the same office, you've got an agent that thinks this, oh, the pandemic, oh, just I can't get a listing. Oh, this, the other agents are discounting. Oh, the market's tough. Demotivated feeling, perception or belief, why even bother? There's no listings out there or all the other agents are discounting to get them. The decision is not to do any prospecting, even though they come through all the training. They then action that sitting in front of their computer pretending they're doing stuff. They then get a result, no listings and low sales. Guess what? I was right. The market's tough. They drive past that same skip bin, Will. They don't pull the car over. They don't even see it. That's yep. the difference. It's the mindset that triggers the series of events. And I just get totally fascinated. Even when I'm teaching um, people how to make phone calls, I was with a guy from Bell Property up at the Northern Beaches the other day, and we're trying to work out what his, his call volume should be. And we landed at 35. And the reason why we did that is I said to this particular guy I was coaching, I want you to write down how you're feeling. I want you to journal this just before you make your phone calls for prospecting. 
you know, and he had things down there written like, like his mind was saying, I don't want to do it. Um, you know, this is difficult. Um, I'm worried that I'm going to get someone hanging up in my ear. Where do I start? And then 10 calls in, I got him to journal again. And, and the language changed in his mind. It was, I'm not minding this. This is actually a little bit easier. I'm getting momentum now. And then I asked him 10 more calls in diarise. And I was getting things like, um, you know, I got an opportunity. I'm in momentum. This is feeling great. But then what happened when he got to about 40 calls? Well, it's that I'm getting a bit tired. Oh, I need a coffee, right? So what that tells me, he's about a 30 to 35 volume sort of, you know, block call agent. So not everyone's going to be James Tostiver making 200 calls in a day, right? Some of you are going to be 10 to 15. Some of you are going to be 20 or 30, but you've got to really understand your mindset. And that person that's, you know, say 10 to 15, they can get to 20 by just staying consistent at 10 to 15 for, say, two weeks. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. Press the weights hard enough, you'll be able to step it up. Yeah. It's funny, you similar to what you said, um, I used to say to myself when I'd get into the office, hey, we'll just make three calls. That was all my objective was, was to make three calls because I knew that by the time I got to the end of the third, the fourth, fifth and sixth just flew. And by the time lunchtime rolled around, I was trying to cram calls in because I didn't want to finish. But if I said to myself, I have to make 30 or 40 calls, oh, I can't be bothered. It's the same as I've got to go for a 10K run. Oh, I can't be bothered. Why don't you just go for a one kilometre run? And before you know it, 10Ks in, you're having a good time. You know, 80% of winning is just beginning. You know, it's, it, it really is. And, and you, you, you're going to be the most motivated to do it when you're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Like there's just no, like I went, today, this content, I went up to Rain and Horn. We were there for three hours filming. Like stepping into it, it was like just, you know, it was a little bit of, geez, I've just got to do this. I've got to build all these videos. Why not? I was in it and we were rolling. Tatiana there was just awesome. The camera guy was great. We were bouncing off each other. Before you know it, I'm like, gosh, I've got to get out of here, guys. I've got to go and see about a guy called Will Ainsworth. Um, so it happened really, it happens really quickly. And time goes really quick when you're in what I call flow. And you're just enjoying it, you're just rolling from one thing to the other. And I think um, I think what we've got to do is we've got, just got to find that niche. What I will say about lead generation, I'm going to go into some strategies in a moment, a little bit deeper ones. I think it is very much governed by your strengths. So I'm a really big believer as a coach. Not everyone's the door knocking guy. Not everyone's the phone canvasser. Not everyone's, you know, good at um, doing the social media thing. Yeah. What we need to work out is what's right for you. And what we then need to do is build armory around that. And we just need to get really good at the things that work for you. We've got to play to your strengths as opposed to trying to be everything to everyone and trying to, um, you know, do a little bit of everything and be a master of all trade and jack of, uh, what was I say? Master of all, but jack trade of none. Is that how, how does it go, Will? I'm pretty sure that's how it, well, it's similar. Way. Yeah. I've just gone um, blank. Anyway. That's okay. I remember you used to call it the word weapons. You used to say to me, Will, what are your weapons? Yeah. Um, and then let's work around those and build your strengths around those. Yeah. I think part of discovering those weapons um, is, is getting feedback from your vendors and doing your debrief or your, or your post-mortem and trying to work out from the vendor's perspective why they picked you. And that gives you a really good insight into what it is about your character or the way you do things that yeah. they're attracted to. I think the, um, the other part of that is just, just getting general having a general conversation with yourself, Rick, where are these listings coming from? 
You might be the networker. You know, you might be the person that is having a lot of success off buyer work and just making sure that, you know, you're in that, you're in that zone where you're really understanding what's working for you and you're just working out what your niche is. Thanks, Andrew Blaxlin. Good to hear yeah. from you. Andrew, I used to coach about four years ago. Everyone uh, is chiming in with the uh, the correct saying. Correct saying. Great. There's a lot now, of content today. Thank you, everyone. Something that sort of piques my interest is just unwinding the mindset thing. Yep. It, it's all well and good to say James Foster and Matt Stein might have a good mindset, but what gives them that mindset? I mean, if I, we unwind it, you know, they call it nature versus nurture. Do they just organically have this different mindset or have they created it or a bit of both? Is it a matter of what's your why? What's your driver in life? Like what, where does the mindset come from? It's a very complex answer to that question, but to try and simplify it, um, there's, there's always this need. It's never enough, right? And I know you had it too. And you and I used to work on that. Um, and it's this drive that they would move to one, they'd get that small little thrill, that little bit of oxytocin we produce when they win a listing, get a sale, and they just love chasing that feeling. And so it's, it's you know, if you look at a top performer, if a signboard goes up in the market and their name's not on it, oh boy, that just, that it, it actually infuriates them to a point where they'll then go and make 50 phone calls that, that they would not normally have made. And so it's that drive to want to get better. You know, Matt, Matt and I talked the other day about he wants to write $10 million. If he keeps doing a sale a day, he'll write $10 million. So we're just trying to now work out a way of how we can sustain that over 365 days. And the only way you can do it is through structuring his business unit a little bit differently. But someone will do it. They'll write $10 million. It'll be a sale a day. I'm talking individual vendors. The way technology works, and particularly since the pandemic, not everything needs to take three or four, four weeks to sell. Since the pandemic, we're in a real-time market where you can put a property on the market today with great um, negotiation systems like open negotiation and things can be sold straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and you're probably going to go into this now, but what are some specific techniques that agents can implement in terms of prospecting? Let me just um, pull up just a little slide here. And some of this stuff is just not rocket science, but I just want to maybe explain it to you a little bit differently and why some of this stuff. Um, While you're doing that. Yeah, um, sure. You know the ten million dollars you speak of. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe I'm a bitter ex real estate agent, and I shouldn't be saying this in an open forum. But the average real estate agent probably looks at that and goes, "That's ridiculous. I can't do that." So, and it's almost like that's. And this is not a question; it's a comment, I guess. It's like the four minute mile. You know, once that was broken, I think within eighteen months, like. 12 people did it. It was just a mental thing. That was all it was. That, it was not a physical thing. It was purely mental. Um, once the $10 million barrier is broken, though, what's that agent? Uh, are they going to retire? Are they going to go, right, now that's easy. I'm a perfectionist, so that was I shouldn't have had my barrier at 10. It should have been 12. Like, What, what are you gaining other than shitloads of money? What are you gaining by achieving that? I think it's, it's, the, um, it's the, the thing that you um, enjoy about the listing and selling process. For some people, it's it's winning. It's the competitive element. Some people, it's the delight of the vendor when we knock the hammer down. Um, for some, they just they love the challenge of beating the competitor. Some, it's about bringing the bacon home because they want to be able to have a great life and they want to divert. Everyone's very very different. Yeah, what drives them? But to the point of the what you were saying before, I'm really big on not 
not about coaching to 10 million or 1 million or two. I'm really big on just coaching to the performance that agent wants. And we want to really work out why. And what I think happens without a coach is you just don't see those blind spots. You're just not aware of them. And the good thing about a you know, really good coach is they'll get a really quick helicopter view of what's actually going on. And they should be able to, through at least three or four one-on-ones, build enough trance where you're allowing them to call them on, call you on stuff that they're seeing. I had a guy just um, last week, I saw in his, um, his, his personal presentation um, on, on realestate.com, he had this bright blue shirt on. And I'm like, you got to, you've got to change that. The people that are beating you in the marketplace are all suited up, white shirt, you know, nice navy suit, strong tie, looking professional. You look like you've just, you know, come out of the surf club. He's yeah. like, oh, but that's my look. And I'm like, well, okay, just don't don't try and list the $5 million properties then. You know what I mean? You yeah. want to, you've got, That's your look. Cool. Go and sell the one and two bedroom and studio apartments and that might work for you. Yeah. But I'm just calling it, I'm calling it for what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> so they're all a little bit different there. Yeah. All right, sorry, I'll um I'll let you get into your lead generation. Look, I think um I think we have a paradigm often in real estate where we we lead with we're far too blinker-eyed, where we go, okay, I need to prospect, find the prospect, then do the presentation, then get the listing on, do the marketing, find the buyer. So I'm really big on shopping the market from two angles, shopping, looking for sellers, but also shopping the buyers and doing the transaction. I remember when I had the, when we had the PRD office, there's a guy in um, Hobart called Dallas Joyner used to work in our office. And he it was probably the fastest sale I've ever seen. I was running a sales meeting one day and this lady had dropped the keys off to this house and said to our receptionist, hey, if you find a buyer, we'll sell it because my husband's just done the dirty on me, right? It was literally, this was the conversation. Yeah. Now, I've said to my receptionist at the time, don't walk in and disturb the sales meeting. On this day, she did. Dallas Joyner, who's probably the best hustler of buyers I've ever seen, looked me in the eye and he said, I've got someone that can buy this. I said, get Dallas, go sell it. Within 20 minutes, that house was sold. Now, he met, he had the buyer and he shopped the buyer to the marketplace. Yeah. And, the, and the thing you've got to be thinking about is you've got to be thinking from both angles. So if I talk sourcing buyers, it's very simple. Old buyers on database, old open home lists. Now, there's so many agents in your office, probably even the principal, that is, has tried these people once, got crickets, got the voicemail, and that's about it. Right now, I'd be starting to ring these buyers. I would be ringing them, and I'd use dialogue that sounds something like, Will, when we last met, or when you last inquired, or when you last spoke to us at 123 Smith Street, it seems here you were interested in four bedroom two. I'm just checking in to see how things are progressing. Now, I'm just curious, what may have made you inquire on that property in the first place? Where are you currently located? So what we're trying to do is we're just trying to build up a, a flock of hot buyers. And what I've found with teaching agents prospecting, if they honestly know they've got hot buyers under their wings, they can just prospect far more effectively. Yeah. As you know, if you don't knock a house and say, I've got someone who wants to buy a house, would you be at all open to me introducing that buyer to you? It's a different conversation to, do you want an appraisal? Let's then go on a journey for five months trying to sell the bloody thing. Yeah. It's a different It's a different thing for the seller to be able to deal with. So I'll open home lists. Yeah. Underbidders. Gosh, I'd just be all over the underbidders. Like the underbidders are the ones that have brought themselves to the boil so many times. Why can't you bring the underbidder, ring them, and just say, tell me what you've looked at. Tell me the streets you're interested in. I'll go door knock them, right? The same thing with the mindset. All those homes on the market, go door knock them. You know what? Four or five out of 10 will say, no, not interested, not selling. 
there'll be two or three that go depend on how much. Yeah. Flush them out. Really easy if you've got a buyer under your wing to be able to do that. Realestate.com, the old inquiries. REA will send you up to six months of their inquiries on their site. You can ask them on a, a spreadsheet. They'll do that for you. I'd go through all of them, particularly the ones with telephone numbers, and I'd be just ringing and requalifying it. At the very least, it's um, it's going to be great practice. I'd be going to potential vendors that want to buy first. So all these vendors that are saying, hey, I want to buy first, I'd be grabbing that buying criteria. I'd be scouting the internet for other agents' listings. And what I'd be doing is I'd be actually trying to find a property for that particular um, vendor to buy. Very simple. Mortgage brokers, buyers advocates. Now, buyers advocates, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, are a lot stronger than the other states. But the buyer's advocates, you should be ringing them every week just saying, hey, who have you qualified? Who have you got next that you're trying to look for a home on the market? And you've got to remember the buyer's advocates, they get paid about 1% up front or they get paid a fee up front. So they've got lots of pressure on them to match to properties. And if you can be that person ringing them every week, when they find someone that wants to buy and, and they are a home seller, you're going to be the first in line because you're servicing those buyer's advocates really well. Yeah, and then and you got mortgage brokers like that. People say, "Oh, mortgage brokers don't send me referrals." When was the last time you took them out for lunch or breakfast and sat down and said, "How many people have you pre-approved in the last month?" You know, um, would you would you like me to help any of those out? If any of those people pre-approved going to sell their home, would you mind passing my details? Like you got to dig the leads out, Will. You can't just expect these brokers to just throw leads under the table. And even in our business, like I'll sell sixty or seventy training courses generally a month, and they're mixtures of coaching and. I don't market this business. I don't need to. I try and do a good job. Then I ask guys like, who, who do you think? And next thing I'm getting three or four emails of people that need coaching. It's a very simple process. If you've got a good product, the thing keeps rolling for you, but you've got to dig those leads out. Yeah. Sold signboards. Like not just your sold signboards. Like if I was starting from scratch, we all know the old age thing. If the signboard gets a sold sticker, other properties come onto the market. Why aren't you in... A salt sticker goes up, or even when a signboard goes up, dropping that street, letting that street know that you have a buyer looking and that you've tried to get that buyer through that home that's on the market. They're not interested. If they are interested in coming on the market to call you, do you know nine out of 10 of the second listings that come on the market when a signboard appears comes from an opposing real estate agency? Really? So, yeah. So if your McGrath signboard goes up, then it, then most likely a second McGrath won't go up, a Ray White will go up, or an LJ Hooker, or a Richardson and Wrench. Yeah. And so, and I think why that happens is that the person that's coming on next doesn't really want that agent to compete against with, within the same brand, right? Mm. So you're going to be there next if you're that person that's just basically working those other agents' listings, and it's 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 a great way to build momentum. Um, and you'll notice these salt stickers and all these properties that are selling. Uh, you know, when we look at RP data and the guys at CoreLogic taught me this, you know, most suburbs have about 150 to 200 streets, of which when you actually look at it, 10 to 15 of those 150 to 200 streets, so 10 to 15 streets often sell upwards of the volume of 50% of the sales. Mm. You, you know, you and I have done work on this, Will. So yeah. you've got to go after the hot streets. You've got to go and fish where you know the fish are trawling. So be strategic. You know, um, call those streets more often. Do all your just listings in those streets, even though you might not have listed in there. Do your open invites, do your just solds, and build that momentum. And all these people that you're ringing, if they say, no, I'm not interested, who do you think will sell next in your street? Like, it's such a simple question that you watch all the leads that you'll get by just being really mindful and leveraging that opportunity. And then you've got your Facebook campaign. 
So there's so much you can do with Facebook another day, another time. Yeah. But, um, you know, we've got agents that I've got some agents up in Byron Ballina that basically um, have a Facebook campaign. It's a closed network where they've basically been marketing to anyone that wants to know of any off-market properties that sell above a million dollars to register in this closed market. You know, will they have 850 people currently sitting in this closed group on Facebook that they now, when they list, they go to the vendor that's say they're listing a $1.5 million house saying, I've got 850 people that are already pre-registered. This is on top of our database, yeah. on top of the REA inquiries domain, our website that we want to launch from. And it's just so powerful yeah. when you're actually um, working your market. And then, you know, landlords, um, you know, your landlords right now, it's not just the rental properties they have, it's their principal place of residence. I often say that to a business owner. Who's ringing all the landlords? Mm. Oh, no, we, we, we've got all their rental. No, 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 their homes. Have you done an appraisal on theirs? Yeah. You know, it's just so simple. You know, the referees, all the referees on these landlord applications, Will, they've got, to, they've got landlord referees on there. Ask them about their investment properties or principal place of residence. Then we've got our wonderful tenants. Yeah. So, I mean, I could just go on and on and on. It's just no excuse. But what you really do need to look at is a coach that's going to help you really refine something to make sure you're drilling down on the stuff that works for you. And then sourcing sellers, I'll just cover this off, Will, and then be open to the conversations, leveraging current vendors. I think we've spoken about that. My old favourite is when a vendor passes the agency agreement across, looking them in the eye when they're the most vulnerable and saying, my commitment to you is to get the highest price, but also what we're going to be doing is creating a great service experience. Both go hand in hand. Can I ask, Will, if we deliver on both and only if we deliver on both? If you hear of any friends, family, anyone anyone you look like they're looking like they're preparing themselves for sale, that you just pass my details on. But that's only after I've done the sale. Would you be would you just keep me in the back of my mind? Nine turns out of ten, I bet you get a referral within two weeks. Yeah. So there's those ones. And there's all those other ones. You know, who's going to sell next? Who's going to come on the market next? There's just so many op- leveraging current vendors. You know, when a property sells, all of the properties that you have a new purchaser, those purchases on settlement should have an annual appraisal booked and you just let them know on settlement. I've booked you in for an annual appraisal. It can either be curbside or walkthrough. And so I just don't understand agents that have sold three, 400 properties. Why don't have 400 appraisals booked in every year? Like we just make it so hard for ourselves, you know, with yeah. this stuff. It's fascinating that we go and speak, knock on a hundred doors and speak to a hundred people that aren't in real estate mode when you're, you have current vendors and buyers that are, wanting service and you're going and trying to communicate with other people in the community, they're not in that 3% of people that are in real estate mode. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I'll share a very quick case study and the client will not be named, but they are up in the Sunshine Coast. They're a big business. I love the brand. No, I'm only kidding. say that, but they're a big business. They've been in business for 25 years. You know what we did, Will? I looked at all of the sales that they made, that business, and then what we did is we looked at CoreLogic RP data, and we looked at how many of those listings were resold that they missed out on. They licked $17.5 million in commission in 23 years by not looking at their past clients. So these are purchases. Because when you think about the purchaser, the poor purchaser, you know, you clip them around their ears in the negotiation, you give them the keys with a dusty bottle of wine, they're in there, and then before you know it, what happens, you forget about them. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, and it's that that's just so important that we, uh, we nurture, which is why that annual appraisal just in itself, along with, you know, other things you might want to do is important. That's why often when you go into an appraisal and obviously they've bought that home, so they've dealt with an agent in the purchasing point of view, whether it was a year ago or 10 years ago, very rarely does that potential vendor remember who they are. Oh, 
I think they were they had a red color. I can't I can't really remember. It's like oh my god, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but the thing that is is the people want that instant gratification, and I I and I often hear people say oh you know they don't want to play the long game agents, and I hear a lot of that. I was talking to Matt about this the other day, and I think you can do both. Honestly, think you can service this person long term, do the annual appraisal, let them know every time a property list and sells around there, send them a text here and there. But you can also ask them in that moment, since they've settled the home, has any of your friends and family come to you and said, hey, I might do the same? Have you noticed anyone when you packed up the old house, did they come up to you and say, what did you sell it for? Which were those neighbours? Yeah. You know, so like you just... There's just opportunities everywhere. I mean, I could keep going on and on. I, I think um, in the sourcing sellers piece, the point that I want, it is about leverage if you want to be really clever. So an example is for rent, domain, Airbnb, Estates, Gumtree. These are all people right now, unless you're in Queensland, because Queensland's um, vacancy rate's quite low, but every other state is hemorrhaging. So we've got all these people that are, um, they've got you know landlord, as landlords that have got properties vacant for 60, 90 days. For you to ring up as a real estate agent and go, hey, I've got someone that potentially wants to buy your property. I know that you've been on the market. I've Googled the address. I Googled the street. You're a property company. I know you're for rent, but would you at all consider selling it, particularly if it was going to be above market value? Would that at all interest you or should I sell on something else? A lot will say, no, I'm right. I'm going to continue on. But a lot will say, yeah, it depends on how much. Mm. Yeah. So these strategies work. It's just that you've got to be willing to, you know, put the put the effort in and do it. Expired listings. There's a great website called oldlistings.com.au. My old favourite. If you go to oldlistings.com.au, they 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 scrape from domain and REA all the withdrawn listings. Now you might go, oh geez, there's nothing withdrawn in my area lately. Everything's selling. What about five years ago? Go on there and have a look when the market wasn't on. How many withdrawn listings have had a shot at it, and they've decided not to? Well, they haven't sold it because they've lost motivation. That you can go back and revisit. I noticed four years ago you tried to sell it. You tried to put it on for 850. I saw you dropped it to 820. Can I say right now, you're going to be thinking north of 850. What might have prompted the interest to sell it four years ago? Yeah. You know, and you say development applications. This is where I that's why I started project marketing because this is where I found my niche, following DAs um, through council or through um, uh, read data, the Cordell reports, right? Yeah. So they'll they'll notify of all DAs in your area. You know, ring the ring the developer and just say, hey, just wanted to let you know, I'm a real estate. Would you like me to do a feasibility on your plans? You want me to let you know how much your apartments are worth, by the way? We'll do a rental appraisal for you. Oh, no, I'm right. Great. When it's approved, do you want me to do, you know, do you want me to come? Do you want me to revisit it? You know, so just work them. The thing I love about developers and builders, everyone says, oh, they're not loyal. They might not be, but they know everything that's going on. Will? Yeah, yeah. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Right, and I think it's that they just hustle better than anyone. The builders, especially the really good developers, the cunning ones. Yeah. So they'll know they'll be able to let you know everything is coming on the market. So why not stay close to them? Yeah, agreed. Now, something that I just yeah. want to draw back on because you say gold without even knowing it because it comes so easily to you. You mentioned before at the end of your sentence to a seller, or should I sell them something else? Now you may not know you say that. But to me, I don't hear any agents say that. That means to that potential vendor, they're not the only one there. So it's basically taking it away from them. And the answer, they have to answer yes or no. So do you want me to sell them something else? Yeah, you can. It's a very definitive yes or no. And as I said, you might, maybe people didn't even hear that before, but I catch on to those sorts of things. Or should I sell them something else? I would say that to every potential vendor when you've got a buyer off market. 
it's a really good point you make. You know, when you meet people and you say, hi, how are you going? They've either got a rain cloud above their head or a sunshine above their head, Will. And you watch the people that have a rain cloud above their head, no matter what the weather conditions are. It's too sunny. It's too hot. You know, it's wet. You know, they just default. They're just defaulting to the half glass empty. Those people you close with fear. You close with fear. Yeah, yeah. What's going to happen if you don't go with this? What's going to happen if you don't buy it, right? That, that's how you motivate those people. People like you and I are more, more optimistic. You know, you, you want to close with, close with the benefit. Here's why you should use this. Here's why you should buy the property. Right? So these are just fun. And sometimes you've got a husband and wife. You've got one negative Nancy and he's like, you know, I want to do it. She's the anchor and he's like, let's just get this boat cranking. And you've got to be able to deliver the message two different ways. Absolutely. Sorry, I, I broke your momentum, but I thought it was an important thing to stop. I think it is because I can waffle too much. <laughs> I'm very different when I coach, um, but I just wanted to try and get as much value to the viewers as possible because um, I just wish I had this stuff when I started. RP Data Zero Dollar Transfers, I put that one on. That's a newie. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of success with agents at the moment where they'll trawl their, um, their market. Anything that's a zero dollar transfer, which means it's probably been inherited, deceased estate, divorce, be all over them. I've got agents that are listing two or three a month by using that strategy. Past appraisals, past clients. I'm a really big believer with this. Um, every time you list a property, not only informing the street, but going to all your past appraisals in the same price bracket and all your past clients, that's your past purchases, in the same price bracket within about a three-kilometre radius, you've got to let them know of the listing that you got. And you've also got to invite them to the open home. And you've also, after the sale, will got to tell them the result. Mm -hmm. And ideally, when you tell them the result and you tell them a little bit about what happened, what you're doing is you're giving up a bit of your listing presentation. And what I've learned about COVID, particularly our Melbourneites have taught us this, is that you can list a property before you see it now. Um, and if you can get your listing presentation in three or four times, talking about properties you've sold on the journey for them to be re listing ready, by the time they're ready to list, you can do a Zoom like this. You can do a little bit of a duck dive into their needs analysis, show them a few little bits and pieces. And before you know it, they're like, would you like to sign now? I've sold a lot in your area. We'll, we'll do that. We'll just check it out when we see the photo shoot. Like seriously, the Melbourne agents and user, guys that are on there, please put your hand up if you've listed plenty. I've got businesses like Stockland, which is the largest residential developer in the country. Stockland are selling block site unseen. A lot of them have been our expats overseas. We were trying to get back, trying to capitalise on the grant. Mm -hmm. Stockland are selling blocks of land through robots. But they're the first um, business in Australia to actually sell blocks without talking to a salesperson like it's just the whole thing has changed i don't think that's ever going to go back to normal it's just the new normal mm -hmm. and you can list property without seeing them yeah um <laughs> just on that subject um and the people in melbourne will know this following the afl but we often 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 coaching people about winning early in your career and there's no better example than dennis pagan who was the afl coach of north melbourne now so those of you who don't follow afl Dennis Pagan was a coach of North Melbourne in the 90s, early 2000s. He coached North Melbourne to two premierships. Dennis's son, Ryan, and Dennis's real estate business. I've um, done a little bit of work with Ryan, and Ryan's a good friend of mine. Anyway, Dennis is a sponge. So he leaves coaching. He goes to real estate. He's got a great business there in Travancore down in um, around Moody Ponds, Ascot Vale in Essendon area in um, northwestern Melbourne. He decides 18 months ago he wants to be a racehorse trainer. 
Now, his, his wife, Cheryl, said he's off his rocker. He goes, no, I'm going to do it. He spent 12 months with a guy called Troy Corsons waking up at 4 o'clock every morning, seven days a week, learning how to be a racehorse trainer. You know how he did that? By just simply asking lots of questions to all the other trainers sitting in Tower 1 watching their horses run around Flemington. Fast forward to three weeks ago. Dennis wins the VRC Derby. So a group one. Now, I'm just saying, I just want everyone to understand what that is. That's like, it's like, um, it's almost like the one that they want. That's one the trainers want. I mean, everyone wants the Melbourne Cup, but it's it's one of the ones that train. It's like the, it's like the, if you can get your horse to win that, it's worth a lot of money being a Derby, right? How did Dennis do that? He just sponged off everyone. He sponged. And even to a point where that horse that won it, he bought one horse. It's called Johnny Get Angry, paid $50,000 with his own money. And being a trainer, as new as he is, he can't actually have any other owners on the horse. The horse has raced in the race. It's won the derby. You wouldn't believe it. 20, I think it was 30 to 1. $1.2 million paycheck later. The point that I want to make here, Will, is you can win big early. In your real estate career, you need a bit of luck, don't mind. But if you sponge, and as Dennis said, I put the blinkers on him. And the, I think it was Jared Waitley said, well, why did, you, why did you put the blinkers on? He said, because I asked everyone. And they said, put the blinkers on him. So put the <laughs> blinkers on him, right? And I, was like, I, I try and say that to real estate. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just have great people around you and sponge and implement and just be fiercely consistent around what you do. But more, more importantly, do it with a bit of enthusiasm. Yeah. But I suppose further to that, when you say implement, um, implementation is the key, but it's also sticking to things. Um, too many agents, I think, implement for a couple of weeks and go, oh, that didn't work. I'll try the next thing and I'll try the next thing because, as you know, there's new toys every day in real estate. So I guess the thing for me is always giving it a, its due time to actually infiltrate your business and actually start to pay dividends rather than just try, try, try and constantly finish up before it, it, it starts to pay back for you. Well, I've got an accurate way of measuring success in real estate and it has to do with how many contacts are on your database right now that you've got a follow-up trail that own a piece of real estate. Yeah. If you are not at 1,200 contacts or more, you are not a real estate agent. So I'm sorry anyone on here I've offended. You're not. You're a glorified order taker and you will not become a real estate agent a career real estate agent where people lead start coming to you and you do until you go 1200 contacts or more. And the reason why even people have been working for five years, 10, okay, how many people you got? And they go, I don't know. Well, let's have a look. And they got 100, 150, 60, because they're hunting for sellers. Yeah. And the point that I make to them is we want to look for the contact that goes onto your database that you cuddle for three years so when the timing's right, they either come on the market with you or tell you someone else that's coming on the market, and it doesn't happen until you get that critical mass. Sometimes I can get them to six to 800 contacts and it starts happening a bit earlier because they're a bit of a stickier personality. That I don't know, they're just more impressive as a human. But most of them take about 1,200 contacts. So I look at um, Stefan Bertram, who's, I think it's Bell Property out in Mossman. I've done a bit of work with him. He's doing great things out there. And he's been, he, he, to his credit, he was selling 100-odd properties a year out in Rye. Mm. He decides to get out of McGrath. He goes to Bell Property. He works with um, Tim Foot. I think he's up to, and I have to ask him, but well over 1,000. He got 60 appraisals, right, in one week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, but all of it's, you know, he's building, his, he's like 1,700, a couple of thousand on his content already. And he's been only there for nine months and half of it was through a pandemic. That's it. Yeah. Bang, right? And it's like that the guy, they just understand the craft. So, a big win is, for me, 10 contacts a day on your database, 50 a week. 
You'll get to 1,200 within 12 months. And if you trip over a listing or two, let's celebrate. But let's equally celebrate the contacts on the database. If you cannot make 10 sales a day to people that are willing and open to receiving information from you, God help you when you're trying to list and compete with the big boys. I sort of have the analogy that if I gave you the exact same listing and said, tomorrow you can go into this listing, they don't know you, they don't know the other three agents they're calling you, you've got a 25% chance of winning that listing. It's you and three others. Or if you wait 12 months, you've got a 100% chance of getting that exact same listing. Which would you prefer? And it's a matter of going, well, maybe I'll go with my one in four chance tomorrow. Okay, if you want to do that, good luck in real estate. For me... I would want to go in 12 months time so that I've got a hundred percent chance of winning that listing, probably got a better chance of getting a better fee. I'll probably sell it better because they'll trust me and all the things that come along with the relationship. And it's 12 months. Agents seem to think that 12 months is too far away. It is so, so close. It is. Uh, it comes around sooner. Um, and it got me thinking, um, uh, Peter Brewer, who's up in Queensland, he, he got me onto this. He said, um, he said, Dan, do a workshop and ask the agents this question. And he gives a scenario and Pete says, you know, you've got a, a, a client of yours who sold a, a little $400,000 property for you and you charge 2%, which means the fee was 8,000. The client then approaches you two years later and they've got a $2 million house and you charge, let's call it, you know, 2% and it's the fee's 40,000. The client looks you in the eye and says, what's the difference between the 8,000 and the 40,000? I don't get it. What do you say next, right? And I just, and Pete got me onto that. And I facilitate these sessions and um, it's such an important thing to think about because if you can understand the difference between selling an apartment and say a house, what is the value proposition difference? And if you can, if you get that in your head, then every time you list an eight, 10 or $15,000 commission, treat it like it's a 40. And what you're going to find is that the value that you're providing is going to supersede the perception of what it's worth and you'll get more and more listings in the marketplace. So you can almost like close that value gap. Yeah, that's fascinating because I have um, been asked, not by vendors, but um, hypotheticals about that before. And it's one of the hardest questions to answer. Why you charge different amounts for the same work, I guess you call it. There's a couple of big answers in it. There's, um, you know, the higher price point property. It's a more complex deal. So you're not off, often... You know, it's that one. So you've got you've got to look at the the selling and the buying at the same time. So it's the it's that. It's the fact that that person in that price bracket, the higher price point, you have to have relationships with those people. Otherwise, when you ring and they just hang up on you. So you you have to be established in that market. Otherwise, you know, you're just not going to be able to ring people and get that connection. Those people, how you show those homes are very different to how you show a two bedroom apartment. Yeah. Our open homes, we need more people. We need to simply um, make more phone calls to actually unearth the buyer that's going to buy it, whereas those other cheaper properties, the market tends to find itself. With so there's anyway another day, another time, but there's certainly different there's different approaches to it. And the guys that are in the big lead that are doing these big comms, um, you know, Michael just sold one up at Byron Bay, um, massive price, you know, um, around the thirty odd million dollar mark, and and you know that was a massive fee. You know what? The buyer that actually bought it never looked at the house. He did the deal over the phone from Sydney. Now, Michael works down in Sydney, Lowen or did the deal over the phone. His team, Angela and, and um, Stephanie, did the photo shoot. And that was it. 
And I was just, the, the fee was massive. I'm like, yeah. wow, isn't that beautiful? That's love yeah. real estate. That doesn't come off like that every day. But geez, you've oh, got to then, be- you, then you toil away sometimes for 12 months on a listing that you end up getting an $8,000 fee. So what, you know, goes and comes, all that sort of stuff. That's right. Um, that may one of the, oh, sorry, <laughs> let's continue on here and then we'll- Yeah, I'll, just very quickly. So past clients, we've gone through that. So mortgage in possession, they're going to come through. That's where you've got to get really close to your brokers. When all this, um, when all this uh, pandemic stuff slows down, it's going to be interesting to see how many mortgage in possessions. You've got to get on the panels. So- got to speak to the brokers who are the bankers that they speak how do you get on the you got to you know you did a lot of that in geelong will a lot of these are going to come through and database of everyone that's bought in the last five years so what i'd be saying five years ago there's there's been a significant price growth so anyone that sold five years from day that year right now in most metropolitan cities then what i'd be doing is targeting all those people that sold five years ago they're about to trickle through the cycle um what is very rare at the moment is i've never seen will every single real estate market on the way it's on now. Usually there's a couple that are down and there is, I just want everyone to understand what's happening here is the government knows that when house prices climb in value, the discretionary spending increases. So if I think my, there, I've got equity in my home, I'm more likely to buy, pay for a holiday in Noosa. I'm more likely to buy that car. And so they're going to keep pouring heat into this thing. So we're all about to go on an amazing journey of price growth here. Mm-hmm. But what comes with that, as I just want to reiterate, is it's a lot easier to prospect. So when prices are going up, it's so easy to prospect than when prices are falling. So you should be all over it. Yeah. My next question is quite um, ironic because we've gone over time, but it's about time management, funnily enough. So um, we will wrap up in probably five or ten minutes, everyone, and I apologise for going over time, but this is just amazing um, information. So you taught me so much about time management and I thought I knew a bit about it and I thought I was good at it until I met you. So can you just give everyone that's watching a bit of advice or you know, some, some, some clarity around how you work around time management as an agent? It starts with mindset. We, we had a bit of a joke at the start. Um, I'm elite with time. I've got plenty of time. I'm cruising. Stop defaulting to you're always busy. You know, oh, hey, oh, I'm flat out. Well, Nothing I can do to help you, right? The moment you're thinking you're flat out in your program, you've just got no hope in seeing the opportunities. So once you can understand I've got plenty of time, everyone's got time. There's no doubt you're busy. I was talking to some property managers about this this morning, a big group of property managers. I've got no, I get it. There are times of the day where you've got no time, but you can't say your whole day's got no time. Yeah, right? You've got time, right? But you you need to understand, you, you know, you don't have bad days. No one has bad days. They have bad moments. We don't have bad days, right? Yeah. So coming back to that, once you understand that, then you can do things like um, what I've realised is you've got to you've got to have a really good self recharging morning. For me, that's I go to the gym or I'll go for a run. I'll spend some time with the family, getting the kids ready. I'll have breakfast here, um, and then I do all of my emails. I scan them, and then what I'm doing is I'm setting up my day where I do my calls first. So can I say if there's a frog to eat off the plate, eat it first. Yeah, that's the thing that makes you feel overwhelmed. Eat the frog first. So you eat your couple of frogs for the day. Once you make you make you ring your vendors first, always your vendors first, and then you move into some buyers and then some prospect, however you do it. So your morning routine starts with the calls, and I'd do that in surges, so 45-minute surges, depending on what the person can cope with. Then I'd be doing returning emails one after the other, returning phone calls one after the other, doing your admin in surges, 
And then if anything urgent comes along in the middle of those surge blocks, just little few little cracks, if you need to attend to things, do that in there, then do all your appointments in the afternoon. And traditionally, I set agents up where you've got Saturday, Monday, Tuesdays, let's sell your current campaigns, let's be all over vendor and buyer management. Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, we lead jetting. We're just, we're cranking it up. And if you can balance your week out into those two sort of half rhythms, what we'll, what you'll tend to see is, is that element of consistency coming through. Right. Can we just repeat that for everybody? So Saturdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, selling current campaigns. Yep. Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, looking for new stock. And you know what? It's an 80 20 rule. Everyone's sitting there going, oh my God, what if there's an appraisal on Monday? Yeah. Of course, do it. Yeah. But it's about what is your intent? What yeah. is your what is your day looking like? And then there's lots of things you can do with digital. Like I set a lot of agents and their business units up um, by you have an, an action folder for your agent. So if you're running a PA, anything you want the agent to action, drop it in there. Anything that's read-only, drop it into a read-only folder. You've got to be really quick to catch it. Otherwise, the agent will be a control freak and try and get a hold of it. So you've got to be really quick, keep the agent's email open. There's so many things that you can do. But if you haven't got a PA, you've got to then do that for yourself. You know, just things like don't read your emails unless you have an intent to respond. Yes. Just check. You could spend like bloody half your day checking emails. Check, respond, check, respond, check, respond. And Will, you were great at that. Um, what, you know, people say, oh, don't do after hours work. Well, don't check your phone. Yeah. You do check your phone. You read an email. Just email the person back quickly. You don't have to answer it. Say, hey, Will, appreciate the email. I'll tend to that first up in the morning. Now, I was trying to get Will talking about this agenda last night, and Will's like straight on it, bang, Dan, can we talk at 8.30? Great, send in the invite, and we were on to it. And I think I was five minutes late. Apologies for that, Will. But we were on to it straight away. Yeah, yeah, and you sent me a calendar invite, so I knew it was going to happen. Well, that's um, the other point. You want to be able to not only organise yourself, because the people say, I'll call you tomorrow. I just, that doesn't work for me, nor it works for the other person. It's like, here's the two times that I've got on offer, or when are you most likely available? Morning and afternoon. Here are the two times on offer. I'll send you an invite now. Are you on Outlook? Great. Can you accept it? Lock them down. What I've come to realize is you don't have to, you don't only, only organize yourself. You've got to organize others. Yeah. Otherwise, this whole thing, oh, I'll ring you tomorrow. And then they're chasing you, bouncing back and forth. And you're spending half your day chasing people. Correct. Um, quickly, um, if anyone has any questions, drop those in and I'll see if I can answer one or two. Hand uh, went up before. I think I saw something. Oh, Michael's just asked if this is being recorded, and yes, it is. However, it will sit in the certified open um, agent page ongoing, so you can go back and watch it there. Um, now, um, I always ask a few rapid-fire questions that are not related to real estate, um, so I hope you're okay with this. I know you are a little bit of a personal person, but um, I'm going to ask them anyway. Who is the first person you turn to for advice in your life? My wife. Why? Because um, she understands me, and um, she's... I know she's always doing it from the right place. Good answer. Um, where's the first place in the world that you're going to travel to when the world actually opens up and gives us the availability to do so? Oh, I think we've been, uh, we forward plan quite frequently. So we did the US thing last year. Hawaii is our next one again. Uh, we just love Hawaii. It's just great for kids. We've got two young kids and anyone that hasn't been, it's just such a great place to go. Good. If you could appear on a reality TV show, which one would it be? Well, you know what? 20 years ago, I actually, when the first Big Brother series was on, not that I'd want to do it, I applied and I got down to the last group. But then when they found out I'm an amputee, just so you all know, I'm an amputee. I lost my right leg when I was younger. So here's everyone just to prove the point. There's the prosthetic leg. 
when they found out I was an amputee, they cut me from the list, which I thought I would be more interesting, you know, pulling my leg off in front of people, in front of the world. But um, so that one, uh, I came close to it. Probably would have ruined this career if I went on it. Um, I wouldn't be recommending it. Um, I really don't know. I think um, I'm really into documentaries. So I just loved, I just, I would love to one day with all of the knowledge I've got, because I said I'm a career coach, be a real estate agent for a year, put a camera on my head, do everything that I'm practicing and just see how many homes I could list and sell. I've just got that urge. It'll happen one day. A few of the guys here I coach, um, Ed Brown from Bell Property, um, he's one of the leading Bell guys. We've been sort of laughing about it, that if I ever did it because I'm close to him and Ed and I have got a close relationship, that I'd just be the second agent on his boards and we would just crank it, you know, um, and just see how many of the – he goes up against Alexander Phillips and it was just take yeah. him on and just see if we can blow him off the mantle. I'm sure you will. Um, Dan and I, as I said, go way back and um, I couldn't help but want to have Dan on because his wealth of information is just phenomenal. And um, Dan doesn't promote himself anywhere. Like You'd be lucky to find him. Um, LinkedIn's probably the only place you are, isn't it? Yeah, LinkedIn, if you join me on there. Um, I love LinkedIn. I just think even for you guys, like you can you could type into LinkedIn right now if you're selling you know, Paddington, Queensland, just type in Paddington and all the business owners and all the professionals in Paddington in, in um, sorry, in Queensland, I should say Paddington, Queensland, will come up and you can just begin to profile yourself to them. Um, it's just a beautiful, so many things I can teach you about LinkedIn that source business. I, I would say 20% of our new customers would come from LinkedIn. It's how powerful it is. Yeah, that's very good. Mm. Um, and my last question, and I know it's a fairly broad one, but what's the one piece of advice that you can give all of our agents moving forward? Get a coach. <laughs> oh look i'm still you know i'm here because of you will first and foremost um you've offered me a lot back and referring clients but you just you just can't it's just too hard out there mm-hmm. if you haven't got a coach now i'm talking about someone that um you know been picking a coach you really want to make sure that you're understanding the person that you're getting you're getting a proper coach not a trainer because a trainer will just throw content at you and you've got to try and make it your own and so someone that's willing to sit down and listen to your journey as a real estate agent, what worked, what hasn't worked, what your challenges are, someone that's willing to understand where you want to be, someone that's willing to get to know you, um, knows how to get the best out of you. Um, and I think going down that path is going to really sort of help fast track your career. You know, I'm not for everyone. Um, I do tend to find myself, you know, working with a lot of the agents that are sort of for sales plus. That's not to say I don't take anyone lean on. I can see Amy is on the line here from, uh, and thank you for that comment, Amy. Amy, she, she's a BDM for Caloundra in McGrath. And in her second month, I don't know, Amy, put up how many managements you got, 15 or 20 managements. Now, you don't, you don't every time get students that, there she goes, she's putting something up there, 20 in five weeks, right? So she just implements everything I tell her, you know, and that's not all me, it's her and she's got her own little flair to how she does it. But you've got to be willing to be want to be coached, but then you have to be, you have to be a great learner. You know, gone are the days where we we finish our schooling at the age of 18, call it 20, and we take everything that we've learnt or even in university and think we never have to learn again. It's just changed. Like I learn every, like I learned so much through this pandemic. Mm. And I had a, um, a conversation with Matt Steinway last week, like doing 34 sales. What, what, what did he learn, right? And so like we've just had these Brilliant chats and Luke Sacco this morning, 31. What did you learn? And I'm not going to go through their insights, but just the shifts that they've made 
to pump that volume out. I'm just like, wow, why didn't I think of that, right? Um, And these guys just find a way. And, you know, is Luke going to go back to making 15 sales? No, we're going to stick to 31, you know, but we're going to get him his two days off a week. We're going to get him that balance. We're going to get that structure in and around him. Um, because Luke isn't just about making sales now. He's, he's about growing agents in his business. Um, mm-hmm. But see, all these things to me, I mean, roll back to you can just fast track it with great knowledge around you. Yeah. Um, Dan, that uh, brings us to the end of the Better Agent series. And I've got to say, and I know I say this most times, but this is probably the one, one of the best I've had. And so I've learned so much from you, not just today, but over the last probably two years since I've known you. An embarrassing moment, I will say, when I first met you, I looked at you and said, oh, you're a bit lame, mate. Yeah. And then you pulled your leg one up. Leg. Yeah, I've got one leg. I was like, oh, this is a good introduction. <laughs> so um, that was the first thing I ever said to you. So uh, apologies. <laughs> but um, for everyone <laughs> for everyone watching, thank you so much for your attendance. Um, Dan, I'd love to hear from you if uh, if you do want to get in touch with him. But um, thanks for your time, mate. And uh, as I said, on behalf of everyone watching today in the Better Agent Series from Open Negotiation, thanks for your time.